Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am going to cover in this audio Revelation chapter 18 verses 1 through 15. I'm going to call it Fallen is Babylon the Great, part 1. Part 2 will be the next audio, the end of chapter 18 verses 14 through 24, in which John will continue with that theme of Babylon the Great being fallen. Our context is this in Revelation 17. We looked at the whore of Babylon riding on the scarlet sea beast. The whore of Babylon, of course, was apostate Israel, and the scarlet sea beast is the Roman Empire. So we looked at that unholy alliance between these two persecuting entities, these two persecuting geopolitical entities who killed Jesus and who persecuted the apostles in the early church. So we start now with Revelation 18, verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. Now, after what things? After these things? Well, it's talking about chapter 17, the horror of Babylon, apostate Israel, riding on the back of the Scarlet Sea Beast Roman Empire. They supported each other. They were in an incestuous, sexually immoral, speaking metaphorically, union in which they joined together to carry out their perfidious designs on the Christian church. Now, John, after watching the whore of Babylon riding on the scarlet sea beast, then he sees another angel coming down from heaven. Now, another angel sounds like it's just another angel, but actually, I think it was Jesus. When you translate it that way, another angel coming down, it does sound like it's just another ordinary angel, but angel, it means messenger. In the Greek, this could be another messenger is coming down from heaven. The other angels were messengers, and then Jesus is another messenger, but he's a different kind of messenger. He's not really an angel. So this angel is probably Jesus himself. Why? Because he comes down from heaven. Well, who came down from heaven? Jesus listened to John in his other famous book, the Gospel of John, four times said that Jesus came down from heaven, just as he says here in Revelation 18.1, that this angel came down from heaven. John 3.13, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. John 3.31, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. It's talking about Jesus coming from heaven. John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, Jesus says, but the will of him who sent me. John 6, 58. This is the bread that came down from heaven, referring to Jesus. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. So Jesus came down from heaven. This is probably Jesus speaking here. And plus, it says he has great authority in Revelation 18, 1. Who has great authority? Well, that would be Jesus. We read in John 5:26 through 27 in the KGV, For as the Father hath life in himself, so is he given to the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment, because he's the Son of Man. John 10:18 again in the KGV, No man takes it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power, and the NASB has authority to lay it down. I have power, NASB has authority to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. So Jesus has authority over his own life. John 17, 2, Home of Christian Standard Bible. Since you gave him authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. Jesus has authority over all flesh. So this great angel that John sees coming down has great authority. And so that's why we know it's he's talking about Jesus. He's seeing Jesus coming down from heaven. 
and the earth was illumined with his glory. There's more indication that's Jesus. How many times did John call Jesus the light of the world in his other famous book, the Gospel of John? John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. John 1, 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. John 9, 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John 11, 9, are there 12 hours in a day? Jesus answered, if anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. So Jesus, the light of the world, illumined the great scene that John was seeing in his vision. The earth, he saw the earth below illumined with his, Jesus's glory. Ezekiel talks about God having glory. Ezekiel 43, 2, and I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice sounded like the roar of a huge torrent, and the earth shone with his glory. So Ezekiel says God the Father has glory. John says Jesus has glory. That shows that God the Father and God the Son are both God. They both have glory. This is Jesus, folks. The earth was illumined with his glory, and Ezekiel 43 says of God the Father, the earth shone with his glory. The phrasing is so close that we know where John got this from, Ezekiel 43, 2, or where the Holy Spirit directed John to get it from, let's put it that way, and how the Holy Spirit created the vision to match the Old Testament revelation. The earth shone with the glory of Jesus. We go now to Revelation 18, verse 2. And he, that's Jesus, cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. As I've shown you beyond a shadow of a doubt, beyond any reasonable cavil. Revelation 17, that Babylon the great was apostate Israel. I won't go over that again. Babylon, the great apostate Israel, has become a dwelling place of demons. The whole city had become demon-possessed. Jesus actually said that in Matthew 12, verses 41 through 45. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, this generation is the phrase that Jesus used to describe the, will, the spiritually unhealthy, spiritually apostate Pharisees and Sadducees who eventually killed him. He called them this wicked generation or this generation. So the men of a generation will stand up and, at this generation and condemn it because they repented at Joel's preaching. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. When an unclean spirit goes comes out of a person at roams through waterless places looking for rest but doesn't find any. Then it says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house vacant, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. Now, folks, Jesus is not talking about an individual demoniac. He's talking about the Jews, the apostate Jews. Because at the very end, in verse 45, he says, that's how it will be with this evil generation, this wicked generation. It will be like swept clean of demons when Jesus was there, casting all the demons out of everywhere. And then when Jesus left, it comes back, excuse me, when uh, after Jesus has left and the demons come back to apostate Israel, they see the house vacant, swept, and put in order. There's no demons there. Jesus has made the place holy. Then the demons say, well, they're still evil. 
The apostate Jews are still evil, so then that demon goes back and brings seven other spirits more evil. Of course, seven is the number of divine perfections. So in other words, the ultimate number of demons comes back, and so Jerusalem is possessed to the uttermost. They enter. They settle down there. As a result, that person, i.e. apostate Israel's last condition is worse than the first. So, going back to Revelation 18, verse 2, Jesus says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit. Well, let's look at some other references to the the fact that the land of Israel was possessed by demons. Revelation 9, 3, Then locusts came out of the smoke onto the earth, onto the land, and power was given to them like the power that scorpions have on the land. This is the fifth trumpet. All the locusts coming out of the bottom of the, of the bottomless pits. That's the demons coming out of hell, coming to ravage the land of Israel. Now, Babylon the Great has become a dwelling place of demons. Well, the whore, remember, lives in the wilderness because John, in chapter 17, verse 3, in the previous chapter, when he saw the whore of Babylon, he was in a wilderness. We read in verse 3, Revelation 17, Then he carried me away in the spirit. That's the angel that's talking to him, I think it was. Carried him, John away to the spirit, to a wilderness. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The whore of Babylon was in a wilderness. And that's where demons live. Matthew 12:43. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places. In other words, a wilderness. Looking for rest, but doesn't find any. Luke 8:27. When he got out on land, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and did not stay in a house, but in the tombs. That was the Gadarene demoniac living out there in the wilderness, not in a city. The original Babylon was said to be a wilderness with goat demons. This is Isaiah 13:21. But wild beast of the desert, the wilderness, shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures. And owls shall dwell there, and satyrs, the ASB margin has goat demons, shall dance there on Babylon. So goat demons are dancing on the original Babylon. So the wilderness is where demons live. And so Revelation 18:2, John says that, or Jesus says to John, Babylon the Great, apostate Israel, has become a dwelling place of demons. And that's why she's going to get wiped out. A prison of every unclean spirit, which is the same thing as saying that she's become a dwelling place of demons. It just repeats the same idea. Now, the fact that she has unclean spirits is in great contrast to the New Jerusalem. The Old Jerusalem is full of unclean spirits, but the New Jerusalem, in Revelation 21:27, it is said this, Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So the New Jerusalem, which stands for the New Covenant Church, no demons with us. And so this Babylon the Great, which is in the wilderness, a dwelling place of demons, and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. I don't know what that refers to. I didn't find anything in the commentaries. I think it refers to vultures or unclean things. You know, these vultures that pick over dead bodies. Nice description of a desert. Revelation 18.3. For all the nations have drunk... For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Now, first of all, you could translate that kings of the earth as rulers of the land. I've given an alternate version of that in chapter 17, but I don't think the alternate version, I don't think that's the way it should be translated. I think it should be kings of the earth. So what we have here is all the constituent nations of the Roman Empire, the kings of the earth, drinking of the wine of the passion of her immorality. In other words, becoming, as it were, metaphorically sexually titillated by Israel. 
and they've committed acts of immorality with her. This reminds us also of what John said in Revelation 14.8. There were three angels pronouncing certain things in that chapter. The first, the eternal gospel. The second angel, let me read this, Revelation 14.8. And another angel, a second one, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. The same theme of chapter 18. Who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Now I talked about that back in Revelation 14. And also in Revelation 17, 2, we read this, the kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, and those who live on the earth became drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. So this theme is in several different places, chapter 14, chapter 17, and here in chapter 18. The nations have taken Israel's wine, apostate Israel's wine, and become drunk on it. Well, in order to grasp the full import of this, we need to understand how Israel affected all the nations of the Roman Empire. We read in Matthew 23:15, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to make one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as fit for hell as you are. You travel over land and sea. Judaism, false Judaism, Phariseeism was everywhere. Adolf Harnack said 7%. The famous church historian Adolf Harnack said 7% of the Roman Empire consisted of Jews. There were synagogues in every city preaching Antichrist stuff, anti-Jesus stuff, all over the Roman Empire. So, and you remember Paul the Apostle, wherever he went, the Romans listened to the Jews, and the Romans then tried the Apostles in several places in the book of Acts. We won't go over all that, but this is well known. All right, so the political leaders of the world have committed sexual immorality with the false prophet, the, the land beast, the whore of Babylon, apostate Israel, but also so have the merchants of the earth in Revelation 18.3. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Now, J. Massingberg Ford, the famous Notre Dame professor who wrote a famous commentary on Revelation, says that these merchants that became drunk with the wine of Israel's immorality, that comment was most likely related to commercial activities around the temple by Jewish merchants, the merchants of the land, Jewish merchants. Many shops there belonged to the family of the high priest. Josephus quoted, said, Josephus stated that the high priest Ananias was a great procurer of money. Massingberg Ford says, quote, The court of the Gentiles appears to have been the scene of a flourishing trade in animal sacrifice, perhaps supported by the high priestly family. Again, she says, this is on page 305 of her famous commentary, quote, foreign trade had a great influence on the holy city, and the temple drew the largest share. The chief items were food supplies, precious metals, luxury goods, and clothing materials. Trade going on, a den of thieves, as Jesus said. Alfred Edesheim in his famous book, Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, which I've read twice and suggest that everybody ought to read it, Quote, in these streets and lanes, everything might be purchased, the production of Palestine, or imported from foreign lands. Nay, the rarest articles from the remotest parts, exquisitely shaped, curiously designed in jeweled cups, rings, and other workmanship of precious metals, glass, silks, fine linen, woolen stuffs, purples and costly hangings, essences, ointments, and perfumes as precious as gold, articles of food and drink from foreign lands. In short, what India, Persia, Arabia, Media, Egypt, Italy, Greece, and even the far-off lands of the Gentiles yielded might be had in these bazaars. 
Ancient Jewish writings enable us to identify no fewer than 118 different articles of import from foreign lands, covering more than even modern luxury has devised. Now that quote, that seals it for me. The merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of the sensuality of the whore of Babylon. We go now to Revelation chapter 18, verses 4 and 5. I, that's John, heard another voice from heaven, that's probably the voice of God, saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her for plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. The reason I say that voice is from heaven is probably God, because the quote that is being stated by that voice is this, Come out of her, my people. So that's probably God talking about his people, his believers. The sins of Israel, drawing down plagues on those sins, the sins have piled up as high as heaven. Paul tells us this was fulfilled in the first century, not at the end of the world, but in the first century. First Thessalonians 2, verses 14, 15, and 16. For you, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For you also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. So from verse 14 tells us the Jews were persecuting the Jewish Christians in Judea. The Jews, verse 15, who both kill the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. Paul's not shy about saying what the Jews did. That Jewish system, they killed Jesus and their own prophets. And they have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins. For the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. And of course, that happened just a few years later, when Jerusalem was wiped out by God's agents, the Roman army. So already the Jews had piled up their iniquities as high as heaven in the first century A.D. We turn now to Revelation chapter 18, verse 6. Pay her back even as she is paid. This is still that voice from heaven, God speaking. Pay her back. Pay back Babylon the Great. Pay back the whore of Babylon. Pay back apostate Israel even as she is paid. Well, how is she paid? Well, she killed Jesus and the prophets, and she's still doing it at the time that I wrote the book of Revelation. Pay her back and give back to her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her. Well, double, the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 was a bodacious judgment, so I could say that it was, in other words, she got what she deserved in an incredibly intense way. Who is this voice? Who is God speaking to when he says, pay her back? It's not really clear. It could have been talking to the angel in heaven, saying that to another angel. could be saying to the Roman armies that ended up doing the paying back could be talking about to the surviving Christians. In fact, the KGV says, pay her back even if she is paid to you, in other words, to you Christians. Or it just could be just a general comment to no one in particular, which is what I tend to think it is. It doesn't really matter. The point is, is that apostate Israel, the whore of Babylon, the land beast, the false prophet, Babylon the Great, is going down. Verse 7, Revelation 18, to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. There's an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, just retribution. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am not a widow, and will never see mourning. Ultimate arrogance and pride. This quotation is from Isaiah 47, verses 5, 6, of, excuse me, 5 and 7. I'll use the King James here. Sit silently and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. That's the Babylonians. Isaiah is talking about the original Babylonians, the 586 B.C. Babylonians. For you will no more be called the queen of kingdoms. You, yet you said, I shall be a queen forever. 
these things you did not consider, nor remember the outcome of them. So Chaldeans is Babylon. It's an appropriate verse for John to quote because Isaiah is talking about Babylon. It's not going to be called the queen of kingdoms anymore. But the original Babylon kept saying, I shall be a queen forever. John picks up on that in Revelation 18.7, or actually God does, when he says, for she says in her heart, the new Babylon says, I sit as a queen. I sit as a queen. Isaiah said of the old Babylon, the old Babylon saying, I shall be a queen forever. As you see, the parallel is pretty darn close. And also in Revelation 18, the new Babylon, apostate Israel says, I am not a widow. The original Babylon, Isaiah 47, said this in Isaiah 47, 8. I will never be a widow. Let me read the whole verse, Isaiah 47, 8. So now hear this lover of luxury who sits securely, who says to herself, I am and there is no one else. I will never be a widow or know the loss of children. So that's the arrogant old Babylon saying, I'll never be a widow. John, the voice from heaven, God, picks up on that and says in Revelation 18:7 that the new Babylon says, I am not a widow. Same phraseology. And God adds, for good measure, in 18:7 Revelation, and I will never see mourning. Now, that's not a quote from anywhere in the Old Testament, but, but uh, the new Babylon was wrong, saying that you will never see mourning. The apostate Israel, oh yeah. The, new ba- the old Babylon was wrong, too. Isaiah 47, 9 through 15. Now, read this if you want to see what, how, what God, how God judges proud nations or empires. But these two things shall come on you suddenly in one day, loss of children and widowhood. They shall come on you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries, in spite of the great power of your spells. And you felt secure in your wickedness and said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge, they have deluded you. For you have said in your heart, I am and there's no one beside me. But evil will come on you, which you will not know how to charm away, and disaster will fall on you for which you cannot atone, and destruction about which you do not know will come on you suddenly. Stand fast now in your spells and in your many sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you will be able to profit. Perhaps you may cause trembling. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let now the astrologers, those who prophesy by the stars, those who predict by the new moon, stand up and save you from what will come upon you." Behold, they have become like stubble. Fire burns them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There will be no coal to warm by, nor a fire to sit before. So have those become to you with whom you have labored, who have trafficked with you from your youth. Each has wandered in his own way. There is none to save you. Now, I love how prophets preach doom on arrogant kingdoms. Isaiah, that's great prophetic language. Is it not? Well, the same thing is going to happen to the new Babylon, Israel. We go down to Revelation 18.8. For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come. For what reason? Because she's proud and says, I sit as a queen, I'm not a widow, and will never see mourning. Lifted herself up against God, a wilderness full of demons. Proud, proud, proud. And for that reason, in one day, that means suddenly, not a specific 24-hour duration of time, but just a relatively relative suddenness. For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come. Pestilence, mourning, and famine, which is exactly what happened. Read the Jewish war by Josephus, and that's exactly what happened to Jerusalem. And she would be burned up with fire. That happened in August of 70. And Josephus says of that event in Book 7, Section 1, Paragraph 1, quote, There was left nothing to make those who came there to believe it had ever been inhabited. It was a smoking ruin. It looked like Hiroshima after the atomic bomb fell. It was gone. Revelation 18.8, last part of the verse. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. little understatement there. Strong, all right. Burn up the whore with fire. 
Revelation 18, 9 through 10. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning. You know, the Roman Empire used Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a, in a good spot for trade. It was between Egypt, which was the wealthiest kingdom in the Roman Empire, was Egypt. And you had trade routes going through Syria up in the north through Antioch and up there a little bit to the north. And so there was a lot of trade going on. And then, of course, you had Tyre and Sidon right up the coast. Lots of trade going through Jerusalem, and it was gone. Lots of merchants lost a lot of money. And I'm sure that all the the kings of the earth, of course, are a proxy for the Roman Empire because the kings of the earth were the constituent nations of the Roman Empire. I'm sure the Romans were very upset. It was said that Titus, at one point, didn't want to bur- tear down, didn't want to burn down the city of Jerusalem because it was one of the great wonders of the world. He wanted it for the Roman Empire, but nope, they burn it down anyway. So they are very, very sad when they see Israel, Jerusalem burning up. Verse 10, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. So the kings of the earth, again, let me repeat this, that's the, those in the Roman Empire who aided and abetted the faithless covenant people, the Israelites, in their apostasy from God. They killed Jesus, they helped Jews persecute the early Christians. And all of a sudden, boom, their mother city is a smoking ruin. That was the end of the persecution of the Christians by the synagogues all throughout the Roman Empire. That was it. Kind of hard to convince anybody that your religion is the greatest religion in the world and that these Christians are evil imposters when your great temple is laying in ruins. Now these kings of the earth pronounced woe, woe, woe on Babylon. This is the first of three groups who pronounced woe in Jerusalem. The second group is the merchants who lost a lot of money. We'll see that in our next audio. Maybe this one I can't remember. No, we're going to, yeah, well, we'll see the merchants in this video and we'll see they're pronouncing woe in the next audio. Now, the great city, I've already said this many, many times in previous audios, but I'll mention it again. The great city is apostate Jerusalem. It says here, well, will the great city Babylon, the strong city? Yeah, well, it's Babylon, but Babylon the great is apostate Israel. We read in Revelation 17, 18, and the woman you saw is the great city that has royal power over the kings of the earth. Now, that was in the previous chapter in which it was very clear that the whore Babylon was apostate Israel, and she's referred to as the great city. So we can go back and go over all of chapter 17 again, but also we can, it's very simple to do it this way. Look at Revelation 11:8. Their dead bodies, that's the two witnesses, will lie in the main street of the great city, which figuratively is called Sodom in Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So the great city was Jerusalem because that's where Jesus was crucified. Revelation 11:8. Great city equals Jerusalem. Revelation 16:19. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the Great was remembered in God's presence. So Revelation 16:19 identifies the great city with Babylon. So Revelation 16:19, great city, Babylon. Revelation 11:8, great city, Jerusalem. Revelation 16:19, great city is Babylon. So Babylon the Great is Jerusalem, and it fell. In one hour, for in one hour your judgment has come, that stands for the sudden, like one day, one hour, it means it happened quick, and it did. They were, the Jews were basking in the Roman peace, the Pax Romana, in the early 60s, and all of a sudden in 8070, kaputsky, it's all over. No one could have foreseen that. Now let's look at 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15 of Revelation 18. We'll finish up this audio. 
And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her. And we've already got the kings weeping, the, the Roman Empire nations, constituent nations. And now we're going to talk about all the merchants of the earth weeping and mourning over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore, cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble. And cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots and slaves and human lives. It's probably slaves. And the fruit you long for has gone from you and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you and men will no longer find them. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning. All right, now John has already mentioned these merchants early in the chapter. In verse 3, Revelation 18, 3, I'll read that again. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her sensuality and excess. So we're mentioning the merchants again, and I've already mentioned this, but I'm going to do it again. J. Massingerberg Ford said that many shops belong to the family of the high priest, jo- Josephus, cites Ananias as a quote-unquote great procurer of money. Massingberg Ford says the court of the Gentiles appears to have been the scene of a flourishing trade in animal sacrifice, perhaps supported by the high priestly family. She goes on further to say that foreign trade had a great influence in the holy city, and the temple drew the largest share. The chief items were food supplies, precious metals, luxury goods, and clothing materials. All that trade is gone now. And Edersheim, the best quote really, This is what he says about the trade that was going on in Jerusalem. In these straits and lanes, well, actually in in Jerusalem, not in Israel, but in Jerusalem, the city. In these streets and lanes, everything might be purchased, the production of Palestine, or imported from foreign lands. Nay, the rarest articles from the remotest parts, exquisitely shaped, curiously designed in jeweled cups, rings, and other workmanship of precious metals, glass, silks, fine linen, woolen stuffs, purples and costly hangings, essences, ointments, and perfumes as precious as gold, articles of food and drink from foreign lands. In short, what India, Persia, Arabia, Media, Egypt, Italy, Greece, and even the far-off lands of the Gentiles yielded might be had in these bazaars. Ancient Jewish writings enable us to identify no fewer than 118 different articles of import from foreign lands, covering more than even modern luxury has devised. There's why the merchants were sad about Babylon the Great going up in smoke. One more comment about the human lives. This is uh, cargo. It's mentioned here in verse 14, 13, I'm sorry. Cargoes of horses and chariots and slaves and human lives. King James says souls of men. Now David Chilton says that's referring to the spiritual bondage of men's souls. I don't believe that for a minute. I just think it's the slave trade. ESV have slaves, that is human souls. I don't have any historical reference that Israel actually participated in the slave trade. It wouldn't surprise me, but one day I might run across such evidence, but I think that's what's being referred to here. So now we see total disaster for the sea beast, the kings and the merchants of the world. They look at Jerusalem and say, oh my gosh, she's gone down. Seven last bowls of judgment have been poured out on her, and she is now a smoking ruin. We will continue with the merchants of the earth 
pronouncing Woe Woe the Great City in our next verse and our next audio in which I will cover Revelation 18 verses 16 through 24 Fallen, Fallen is Babylon the Great I hope you stay tuned for that audio and I hope you enjoyed this one